This is Bill Marshall recording my book, The Blueprint of Reality, beginning with the introduction. So, what is this thing called life all about anyway? If it's all just an accident, a cosmic hiccup, where in some strange way matter became conscious, then Aristotle and Plato and Hume and Kant and all the great idea makers of humanity were just blowing in the wind. They would have been better off amassing great fortunes, consuming vast quantities of matter, and making hordes of babies. If Darwin was right, why didn't they? Why bother with thinking other than as it pertains to the acquisition of food and the continuation of the species? If matter creates consciousness, then consciousness has no say in where, when, and with whom it will make its entry into this world. In the Western religious tradition, we typically believe we are here once and then either bliss out or burn out for eternity. The East tells us of many such karmic visits until enlightenment occurs and then the numberless rounds of samsara end by the big blowout, nirvana. The meaning of life, science postulates no meaning other than survival and propagation of the species, has to be very different for the two points of view, but both are religious beliefs that posit a hierarchy with us somewhere at the bottom. Neither the West nor the East, however, believes we have any say regarding where, when, and with whom we enter life. For the West, we are given one shot on a random entry. For the East, our entry is based on karma, the king of cause and effect, but it is not us that choose. If everything is karmic, as the Hindus say, then when we find a body blocking the entrance to a hospital emergency room, should we ignore her and write it off to the person's karma? Is it their karma to be lying there and to be ignored by me? Is it payback time? Payback for what? Past life transgressions? And what about my preferences to help? Do I negate my preferences because of the karmic law, or any law for that matter? Joseph Campbell seems to think we do have a choice. In Myths to Live By, he believes we choose the time of our entry into the world for our own particular reasons, and since we choose our time and circumstances, then we should go through through with our own game. But what the game is, Campbell never says. How do we play the game well if we don't know the rules of the game? The Buddha's first noble truth is that all life is suffering. James Hillman, in his bestseller, The Soul's Code, seems to agree. He likens the individual crisis to a hammer and our moral code to an anvil. The clashing of the two forms our personality. Hillman feels the conflicts are necessary 
and any morality that endeavors to remove them and the guilt they produce becomes, as he says, a theological tranquilizer called love. Hillman goes on to say that our heavy insistence on the good allows us to project evil onto an outer foe. The result is a relentless insistence on love. So, is love the name of the game? Are we here to learn how to love? And if so, why? What about learning to be good? In Ion, C.G. Young, the father of archetypal psychology, says that the idea of good and evil is the foundation for any moral judgment and are always present together. He states that we, not God, are the creators of our moral value judgments and that the facts submitted for judgment, as he says, are called by one person good and another evil. You say tomato, I say tomato. You say potato, I say potato. You say pro-life, I say pro-choice. If the facts are called by one person good and by another evil, is the game to find out who is right? Could it be that both positions are right? This, of course, gets back to the issue of separateness. How do we get to this realization of non-separation? For it must be so deeply embedded in our psyches as to go unrecognized except in times of extreme crisis. And once we get it, then what? The clue to what life is all about can be found in two simple words, experience and creation. Our experience and our creation. If God is embedded in creation, and experience tells us creation is a continuing process, then God cannot be perfect. For God to be perfect, creation would have to cease. If God is a creator God, as some believe, and separate from his, her, creation, then we must ask, to what purpose would God create an imperfection? as our religious dogma tells us. The word perfect sets us up for comparing ourselves to something that does not and cannot exist except within our own beliefs. C.G. Young in Psychology and Religion, West and East, says if Jesus failed to realize the deepest meaning of his life, he would have become a respectable carpenter. By imitating Jesus as the perfect man, we fail to make real the creative process of our own lives. We need a different and deeper understanding of our relationship to each other and to God. Without this deeper level of understanding, all we will be doing is repressing our true feelings like stepping over the person lying before the emergency room door despite our desire to help. We all know Stevenson's story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. One of the cornerstones of archetypal psychology 
is that what is not made conscious exhibits itself as shadow. If I do not recognize that what I judge in you is in actuality a reflection of what I don't see in myself, then I will continue to create good and evil. As long as I judge, that which I judge will continue to exist in my life. Morality and love cannot be instilled by decree. What is moral to one is anathema to another. What one person loves, another hates. Morality is culturally determined and so varies from one culture to another. Love is a reality and a truth, however. Maybe it is our definition of the word love that needs changing, and the change can only arrive if we come to a different understanding of who we are. Are we an accident? Are we created by the magic wand of God? Or are we infinitely more than we have heretofore imagined? Joseph Campbell says, go ahead and play your game, but does not say what the game is. Matthew Fox says we are to co-create with God, but does not say how or what it is we are to create. Throughout the rest of this book, I am going to ask you to loosen your grip on your own understanding of reality just long enough to consider that we are here in this one of an infinite number of playgrounds simply for the experience. The experience of soul, or spirit if you prefer, cloaked in a physical world. Consciousness is energy and movement, and as such, it constantly seeks change. We must have a greater understanding of non-separation, of duality, of space and time, of energy, of consciousness, and of who we are now. Has anyone ever stopped worrying because a caring friend said, don't worry? Do you think your child's sadness evaporates like a mist under the glare of a hot sun just because you tell her not to be sad? And can your fear at the prospect of plunging several hundred feet on the Superman roller coaster fade away by having someone who loves the experience tell you it's fun? The answer, of course, is no. Your beliefs establish the framework for what you experience, and therefore the way you will feel. A simple encouraging word is rarely enough to change an emotional response based on a strong belief that is held as an absolute. It takes a makeover, a makeover of our understanding of reality itself. Who are we, and what are we doing here, and what role do our beliefs play? We believe that an apple is sweet and a lemon sour. Yet, a hypnotist with a few well-placed words can make that same lemon taste sweet and make thin person feel obese. He can make a sober person drunk 
and a sad person happy. We believe that experience is a priori to beliefs. That is to say, we believe that our beliefs are based on our experience. That experience forms our beliefs. The truth is that our experience is belief-driven and not the other way around. This truth is critical to understanding how we play our game. For the reality is that we have placed the horse behind the cart. Like a city under siege, we believe we must defend ourselves from a universe that is nothing more than a well-oiled machine that cares about our well-being about as much as a shoe cares about the ant it steps on. I invite you to explore your beliefs about who you are and what part you play in the cosmos. With that invitation comes a promise that I will not be like the friend that tells you not to worry or the mother that tells her child not to be sad or even worse, like those who tell you it is God's will. I will construct windows in the closed box of your belief systems belief systems so complex that we don't even see most of the beliefs that direct our action. I will construct a bridge that will convey you safely from your current understanding of yourself and reality to a vista beyond your imagining. I will lay the groundwork that will open your minds enough so that the startling information found within the covers of this book will be able to seek its way into your consciousness and change who you are forever. I will reveal our 10 primary belief systems that function to create all of our reality. You will morph from a creature who is a helpless victim of genetics, germs, accidents, violence, coincidence, a machine-like universe, and a capricious God, to a being that is a self-responsible creator of himself and the world he lives in. You will find that things are not what they seem, an intuition you have had all your life. This is a quote. Moreover, science's thesis meets with no answering affirmation in the human heart, and in fact arouses the deepest antipathy, for in his heart man well knows his own worth, and realizes that his own consciousness is no accident. The psyche, then, possesses within itself an inner affirmation, an affirmation that keeps man from being completely blinded by his own mental edifices. There is furthermore a deep, subjective, immaculately knowledgeable standard within man's consciousness by which he ultimately judges all of the theories and beliefs of his time and even if his intellect is momentarily swamped by ignoble doctrines, still that point of integrity within him is never fooled. 
That is from uh, Jane Roberts' book, Dreams, Evolution, and Value Fulfillment, Volume 1, a Seth book. I hope to arouse that part of us that is never fooled. This will be the end of the introduction. Thanks for listening.